Hi, beautiful people, and welcome back to a new episode of my sharings. I did not record a podcast in two weeks, so it has been two Fridays without the podcast. And to be honest, it did not feel like anything was missing. I was having a good time, uh, relaxing with my sister at the summer house, been swimming, enjoying this beautiful Swedish summer. Uh, I've been assisting a group at Baravara and uh, yeah, I just felt, you know, these times when you feel that a break is needed and you actually take it. So it only felt good. Okay, now I am back again and um, I have uh, borrowed um, the headphones, the headset from a friend. So I'm really curious if this is going to, I think it's going to be better um, this time in recording. Uh, But I don't know. You know me. I am still the same. Um technical genius you know so today a lot has happened a lot has happened this year I am sure for all of us and I can say that this has I am sure that this episode is going to be very emotional uh, because I think I've had like the best year It's like an antidote to 1993 for me. 2020 has been a year full of crisis, but 2020 has been amazing for me. 2020 has given me so much, and we are only in August, um, and I feel that I have grown so much. And I've been through crisis, you know, I've been through losing the job, not having any income, entering depression, having a big identity crisis, breaking up with my eldest daughter, corona crisis on top of this, and it has been great. You know the feeling that when challenges, you know, when they happen to you and you realize maybe 10 years later why it happened or you can see the the goodness from it years later and sometimes not at all. And I have been present through every change, every challenge that has come my way. I have kind of taken them on directly, not escaping, not hiding, just dealing with them, with the ability I have to deal with crisis. And I can see that the way I deal with crisis today compared to in 1993, it's, it's like black and white. To understand that I am a person who actually can handle a crisis, who can take good decisions, who can find good ways to recover and actually feel good again. To me, it's the greatest, greatest gift. And this episode, I'm going to talk about relationships and I'm going to maybe not focus on, but the relationship to my eldest daughter And I'm doing this not really out of, what shall I say, the goal for me to share what I do is that I know that there are many people out there who are just like me. That what I go through, I know that many of you go through at the same time. And during the years I have, this is one of the questions that I have gotten the most, and it's how do you have such a good relationship to your to your daughter? I'm struggling so much. Or how 
come you and Rachel have such a good relationship. Me and my mom, we don't speak. I can't share anything with her and so on. And, you know, people have been looking at us as if we are a role model of relating mother and daughter. And we have been proud. We have been really, really grateful and proud and satisfied and content to have the relationship that we have. I still say that I am really, really proud of us. Not only my eldest daughter and me and our relationship, also the relationship I have with all my children. Because this is an important thing, that something happened in my family, in the dynamic of my family. And I'm going to go into this because I think it explains a lot of the issues that we have when we relate to our parents or our children and where things go wrong and also how to make it right again. In 1993, I uh, was engaged to a man and we lived together and he was Rachel and Ludwig's stepfather. We were very much in love. Uh, we were to get married and we had just, you know, was to buy a house on Monday. And he died in a plane crash in the middle of our, what shall I say, our most sweet moment in life. He did not return home from work. And that day, when they came home and told me, they came into my apartment. I had Rachel between my legs. She was four and a half. I had Ludwig, my son, on my arm, wrapped up in a towel. And they told me. And, you know, the film that was my life, it was cut off that moment. I don't remember. I don't remember, the you know, the following days. I don't remember what happened. I remember the apartment was full of people, my sister, my mom. And, you know, I don't remember and I don't remember my children in this equation. So I don't know, I guess, that friends and family took them away to kind of spare them from me. And this, what happened back then, has been the underlying you know, dominant factor between me and my daughter. I think her brother, he was two, two and a half, and I think he was too young to really understand the feeling of loss in that sense. And um, they have also different personalities, but I think me and my daughter, we had a conflict this year, we have always had a tricky relationship. But we had a conflict. Since Lea Luna was born, we had a really good life together. I so loved to be grandmother to Lea Luna and to be part of this little family. And I dedicated a lot of my time to be there with them and for them. And anyhow, beginning of March or end February, we had a conflict. And this conflict was nasty. It was n n not something that I expected or could could receive. You know, there were there were things that happened that was too much for me to to stomach. You know, to to handle, and I had to really cut off. And I'm not going to go into what happened because that's absolutely irrelevant. But things happened, and I had to cut off. And. What's also important is that around New Year sometime, I felt this, you know, when I looked at, we were three people on one child, Lea Luna, caring for her. And I was looking back to, to my own motherhood thinking, and I was alone with four children. That the equation was like, and I could see myself, and I could see myself like, wow, you were 
alone with them. You did all this by yourself, like financially, emotionally, support and everything. And like, wow, you worked really, really hard. And I could see like my motherhood was kind of flashing by and I just felt like, what am I doing? I am now dedicating my time again to other people, you know, to to my adult daughter and her family, and I love them, you know, so much. But is this is this right? Who who am I? Where is my life? And I can kind of felt like I need to I need to change. I need to stop. I need to stop doing what I'm doing. I really need a break. I really need a break. And then this happened, this conflict and the breakup and corona and everything. And I just felt like the universe is listening. And I began to take steps for me. I began to look for an apartment, wanting to, to trade my apartment for, for, one, for two smaller apartments, one for my daughter who still lives at home and one for me. I just had a feeling I want to move away from home. I need my own space. You know, I've been a mother for 32 years soon and I just had this feeling I need my own space. I don't know who I am. I am, you know, I'm always doing things for other people. I don't know what I like. I don't know who I am. And due to this crisis and my depression that came in March, I began to go to therapy And I confessed to her and I said, this is very, very strange, but I am actually happier. I'm happier without my eldest daughter. I'm happier without having her in my life. And it was, you know, and she said, that's okay. That's okay. You need this space. You need the space, you know. It's just as it is. You need space. And I just felt so bad and I just really, is it okay to feel okay, to feel happy? And I remember when my father was dying of cancer, every time I felt happy, I was 17. Every time I was out with friends and had a happy moment, I felt guilt. And I realized that when I feel happy, I feel guilty. And this guilt, I just feel, I don't want to carry this guilt anymore. And I told the therapist what happened, that when Stefan died in 1993, four months after he died, I tried to commit suicide, and that's where all the guilt comes from. Since then, I've been guilty, you know. And I contemplated over this, like, I've been carrying this guilt for 28 years, and I'm done. I mean, my, my fiancé died... And my daughter suffered the consequences of that. But actually, it was my grief. It was my fiancé. He died. And I really felt like there is something with this incident, with this accident, with this happening. There is something that we have, you know, there is something that's not right. And I, I contemplated and I prayed to God to kind of enlighten me and just give me you know, a sign. And then it's like I woke up one day and I just felt, what if, what if Rachel at that point thought that she was less important than him because I could not stay alive? When he died, I got so, so, you know, devastated. So I tried to commit suicide. What if Rachel thought that I loved him more and I loved her. And then the next thought came, what if I thought that I loved him more than her? What if I thought that I loved him more than both my children? And I just realized that that is not true. Here is, you know, not the lie, but here is the thing that is not true. He was one part. It's like he was one leg in our little chair, you know. When he died, the chair couldn't stand, 
you know. I lost one, lost one of my four, you know, my three most important people in the world. And it was just that he was the one who was gone. And I, you know, I sat this morning, it's like two months ago, I think, sat this morning, and I was just thinking, you know, I got goosebumps all over my body, and I was just thinking one thought, thank God it was him and not the children. Thank God that you took him and not the kids. And I just realized that if it would have been Rachel or Ludwig, maybe I would have lasted two days, a week. You know, it was not about him. It was about the loss. It was about my inability to handle the loss and the crisis. And I just sat there and I was thinking, thank God that it was him and not the children. And then after not speaking to Rachel for like three, four months, I wrote her a message where I explained this, that what if you thought that I loved him more and what if I also thought so, that we misunderstood this and that we lived our whole entire life thinking that he was the most important person. He wasn't. You and your brother are the most important persons and I'm really, truly, truly sorry if you have lived your life, you know, thinking that you were not important. And I apologized and I said, I'm so sorry that I was not present, that I didn't have the awareness enough to give you the love and, and confirmation and affection that you needed. And I'm so sorry for this and I love you just as much as you love Lea Luna. I always have you know, and and she received this message and said thank you and that I was correct. That was exactly how it was. And then we just let it be. So we had like a first connection after this breakdown where I had a revelation and I kind of, in a way, you know, gave her the confirmation that it was never the case and I just felt like I just since that moment I've been so grateful that it was Stefan who died and that my children are still walking on this planet and I just felt so much gratitude I felt so much gratitude and at the same time I felt I'm not ready to open up yet I'm not ready because I need to learn how to live without guilt what happened to us in 1993 was a terrible, you know, experience for both of us, for all f three of us. And obviously something happened to our dynamics. And I think that what happened is actually that Rachel, she, she put a lot of time and energy trying to get my attention, which she, you know, it's such a paradox. She always had it. I always told her how great she is. I always, you know, confirmed her. I always, you know, loved her a lot. So she has had a lot of love and attention. I don't think that she actually experiences a lack of that. But this uncertainty that my mom may without notice, just disappear. That is not something that I am going to take. I'm not going to live with that random accident in my life. I think that's kind of underneath. So gradually, it has kind of been that I have been disqualified as a mother, that I have you know, in a way, perhaps disqualify myself also, even though I did so much good. I can really feel that I'm really, really proud of my motherhood and I'm so proud of my children because they are amazing. And still this guilt, you know, I carried it around. And as Rachel grew, as she grew up, became a teenager and 
slowly, 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 she took the position where she was, in a way, more competent than I was. You know, more uh, evolved, more aware. And we came to a point when I was the one who was grateful to be included in the family. And she, in a way, was the head of the family. And I think we have lived like this since my last suicide attempt five years ago. Most likely before that too. But I think that's when it went really, really bad. And um, I have been so good. I've become so good to compensate and support and just being content to be included because of this guilt. And our relationship has, in a way, had that dynamic. And for all of you struggling with the relationship with your mother or with your child, if it's a daughter or if it's a son or, you know, if it's a trans person, it doesn't matter. But if you are struggling in the relationship, it's not one party struggling. So it's not the one who is dominant, who feels superior, that is the fortunate one. You, you can't think that... You know, the one who is superior and feels like my mom is a victim, my mom is like she has no, uh, you know, control over anything, she's a drinker, she has like, uh, she can't relate to men or she can't keep a job or, you know, her wardrobe is this and that. In whatever ways you put yourself on top of your mother uh, and feel superior, you should know one thing, you are not fortunate. And if you are a mom and you, like me, feel guilty, guilty for because you broke up with a daddy, guilty because you don't have enough money, or guilty because you work late hours, or guilty because you're always tired, or guilty because you're mentally unstable, or, you know, whatever. It's like a million reasons for us to feel guilty because we're not perfect human beings and perfect mothers. And... When we become these, you know, smaller, worthless victims feeling that our child knows better than us, you know, we are so unfortunate. And from that position, I just spent this week, and I've done this so many times, there is something called family constellation, and it's like super easy, it's very, very basic, that there is a healthy family constellation and that healthy healthy family constellation is mom dad first child second child third child fourth child and the rank in the family is mom and dad and then the first child is the first child she or he is the eldest and the youngest child is the smallest the baby And whenever one of the younger children takes the role as the first child, is smarter or, you know, uh, better or is, you know, uh, raised to the sky by the daddy or something and the firstborn child is pushed down, the dynamic in the family becomes weird. The relationships becomes weird. And it's the same if the parents separate. The first husband and the first wife, they are always the first husband and wife. And if a new wife comes and more children, that is the second wife. And she can never take the place as the first wife. And this is also where the dynamics go really, really wrong, especially in our days when we swap and we remarry and we have new children and we make them more important than the elder children. Then the dynamics get totally fucked up. And who loses? We do. We all do. And this relationship between parent and child The thing is that the child is the child. 
the parent is the parent. And if the parent is disqualified as a parent, either by themselves or by the child, the dynamic gets totally fucked up. And we had a lot of those things this week. We had a, a week of group therapy, primal therapy, and we did so many family constellations. And there were like different constellations with adopted and biological parents and divorced here and there, new kids and so on. And we did so much. And there was this one guy and he said, my mom, she's, I'm, she's such a loser. No, I'm not longing for her. I'm not longing for her. I don't want to talk to her. I don't want her to call her. I just feel like, fuck, does she need to call me every day? And she's such a victim. And I just get, I get so uncomfortable when she's around. And then he told about his story that his dad, they divorced. And his dad and his elder brother moved away. And he was left at with mom because he was too tiny. And the thing is that he took the role as the head because he was um, from, I think from, uh, I can't remember, but he was from a country where the, the, the man in the house is really the man in the house, even if it's a, a child. So he took the role of the man in the house with his mom and stepped up and became superior early as he was like 14, 15 or something. And since then, the relationship has developed in a really uh, bad way. And the therapist, the facilitator, he said that the only thing, the only solution is you got to step down. You got to step down. You have to be the child to your mother. The thing is that your mother gave you the greatest gift. She gave you life. So you, the only way for you to have a healthy relationship with your mother again is for you to step down and actually bow down to her in gratitude and respect. She gave you life. And he was like, no, what the fuck? I'm not going to do it, da, 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 da. And, and then the facilitator said, well, it's your loss, dear. It's your loss. You know, I know you're longing for your mom. I know you're longing to be with her. And he began to cry. This guy, he began to cry. And he's like, I miss her so much. He was like, I miss her so much. And then again, you have to step down. And afterwards, I asked him, because I really felt like, you know, there was so much resonating in me when it comes to me and my eldest daughter. And I, I asked him, and I said, I have this year, actually, I've said no to the guilt. I'm not going to carry this guilt around anymore. I'm going to be proud of my motherhood. And that includes my four children. I'm going to be proud because they're actually walking, talking, functioning, and they're good people. And uh, I'm not going to carry this guilt anymore. I'm done. And he said, really good, Shama, good for you, good for you. And I asked, how can I step up again? How can I come, you know, above? How can I become the mother again? And he said, do you know what? You can't. You just have to wait. You just have to wait until she steps down. You have to wait until she's ready to be the child again. And he said, it may happen, it may not happen. But the thing is that you cannot climb. That it doesn't work like that. The dynamics, it doesn't work like that. But, he said, by doing what you do, saying no to the guilt, making you priority in your life, showing that you are important as a person, not only have a value as their mother, it's a big step. So he was like, Shama, just continue what you're doing. Just continue being you. Just be you. And know that you should not be guilty for the separation. You should not be guilty for not feeling guilt anymore. For not carrying this pain. And he is like, he's a man I really, really, really trust. So I'm thinking about this. 
And then I had an, another episode. I went to see my my sister at the summer house and and my dog, my little Charlie. He misbehaved as he always did, does. And uh, and my sister got very very upset, mm, you know. And she said, "You need to to do something about your dog. You know, it can't, you can't have him like this. You need to do something. He's not okay." And I took it so personally, and I became this, you know, wounded little baby child, and I just felt how I'm like, it's always my fault, everything is wrong with me, and my dog is terrible, and this and that, you know, the whole story just came, and I realized that we are like 50 plus, both of us, and I'm still stuck in this this role of being looser in these dynamics, and I'm thinking that, okay... How can I do? What can I do here? You know, is it, is there something I can do with this dynamics? And and I realized that what I can do is actually to not take it personally. To not having this old record go on repeat saying I'm a loser. I'm not, you know, as good as my sisters. I'm always the one making trouble, this and that. And break and cut that pattern and because I love my sister I want to relate to her I want to be you know with her and I think she's super person and I realized that okay instead of feeling wounded taking it personally just okay think about it practically think about your dog Charlie okay you have a problem here there is a problem yes and the problem is your dog it's not you and I realized that this pattern of me always taking everything personally always feeling that I'm excluded taking this for granted of course and if you know that this is also something I can work with she has her things you know she apologized later and said I'm sorry that I really rubbed it in about how bad Charlie is and and I said, yes, uh, it was a bit too much, but still, I understand. I need to, to do something about him. And um, I will look that up. And yeah, and we had like a good moment where we could talk about it. Normally, before in my past, I was the one always leaving the summer house because I was, in a way, blamed for something. And it came to a point where I took everything personally. I could never see the facts. And I just realized that it's so easy in families to get stuck in a pattern. I am the baby in my family. And I should have that position because I am the baby. I think the problem in my family was that they treated me like a baby, but in a, in a not caring and loving way. Not this, oh, little baby, you're so cute, baby, come here. It was more like, oh, that baby... You know, and uh, I'm thinking that that has actually changed the last five years. Now they they are so kind and loving towards me, and I am the baby. And it's just that I need to switch something in my mind, and I can work on that because I want the dynamics with my sisters to be good. And I just realized that this family constellation, the role we have in the family, the place in our family, Rachel is my firstborn child. She is superior to her siblings, all of them, both on my side and on her daddy's side. She is the eldest one. So she is the one they should go for, you know, wisdom and inspiration and support and guidance and so on, because she is the eldest one. And she's also very bright and smart and kind. So she's like a great source for them. But it doesn't mean that she should replace me. And the good thing that has come out of this separation is that I have bonded so much with my other children. And I feel that my relationship to them, because they also got like a handful of my freedom kind of in their face, 
Mom wants to move away from home. Mom wants to have her own apartment. Mom wants to go, you know, um, tennis, ballet, whatever. You know, mom is now uh, trying to become this and that. And it's really like, what, the ha- what is happening to our mother? And I just feel like this is to relate with them and to find, you know, the new balance and for me to really step up as their mother because this family dynamics, of course, if Rachel has taken the place as the mom in the family, her siblings go to her for mommy guidance. So I became, in a way, disqualified in their eyes too. So it's been a period where I could you know, reclaim motherhood with all my children and to really feel like, okay, I am their mother. I raised them, I gave birth to them, um, I educated them, I've been there, supported them emotionally, financially. I did a great job and I really feel like I'm so proud, not only over them, but also over me. And I'm going to sit on this kind of pride, motherhood pride, as sitting on a rock. And I'm not going down from that rock again. It's really like I'm going to be here. And I'm going to be here for my kids. And when they need help, when they need support, I am a source. But I'm not going to go there and interfere with their lives. I'm not going to go there and push my wisdom or my experience down their throat. If they don't want my help, if they don't ask for it, especially if they don't need it, I'm not going to offer it. So I really feel that I have been, you know, in a way, a servant to my children, like super, super supportive. And I think, I have a friend, Miriam, she is the greatest with tough love, you know, no, you have to, no, you have to take the consequences of that. Yes, that's going to cost you like 50 euros. You just pay it. I'm not going to pay it. I'm not going to cover up for you. You know, she gives her children, that's the consequences of that decision that you took. You just live with it. Sorry. I never been able to do that. I always had this, you know, big, big guilt, not only because of that incident, but also for not keeping, staying with their fathers. I've carried a lot of guilt for that. And I've compensated my children with travels, you know, with things, always supplying, earning more money so they could have what the other kids have and always feeling like I need to compensate so my kids don't suffer because they don't have any fathers present. And I also feel like who am I to decide that they should not suffer because of that? And the only thing it resulted in was that I became smaller in a way because all this guilt that I've been carrying, if you think about it, you know, I tried to commit suicide twice. I separated from their three fathers. Um, That is like a big, heavy load to carry around and to compensate for. And... When I look at it, I just see that, okay, I suffered, I experienced great losses. My father died, my my fiancé died, you know. I went, went, was in crisis and I couldn't handle it. And I felt like zero empathy towards myself. And instead I felt tons of guilt towards my children. And it did not serve them well. And it did not serve me well. And I realize that now, that the guilt we carry, if you look to your relationships with your kids, the relationships that feels off, where there's something, you know, that is not right, it's not resonating, it's not harmony, and is there guilt involved? Did your child perhaps become superior to you? Or... Did you disqualify yourself somehow? Is your self-worth low? The good thing is, the really, really good thing is, we can work on this. 
It's like with everything that we do, we first realize we have a problem. Second, we realize we need help. And then we ask for help. And when it comes to relationship, relationship is the hardest thing on the planet. And if you are a traumatized child, or if you have been through traumatizing experiences, relating is very, very difficult. And I came to realize today, I had like a lovely day with my beautiful friend Miriam, and we spoke about it, and I I have these insights, and I realized that for me, to separate from Rachel has been like a has been like a relief because this has been since she was born my biggest fear that something would happen to her i wonder if it is like this for all of us that when our first child is born and the love we feel for them is so big So the idea of losing them, the idea of that pain, that loss, that separation, already makes it hard. And if we are traumatized, if we experience losses ourselves early, and we feel this strong, strong love that is almost not, we can't understand it, And I think it brings up so much fear in us. And maybe when when Stefan died, maybe my biggest realization was that it could happen to my children any day, any moment, any day. Life can take them away from me. And that fear of losing them probably... You know, we've heard so many times, you know, that you reject people before they reject you. You end a relationship before he or she breaks up with you. That that is a defense mechanism, a strategy that we have because our fear of loss. And I'm thinking that what if not only the misunderstanding that he was most important, what if... This fear of loss, this fear of losing Rachel has been so big in my life that it's been easier for me to to not have a good relationship, you know. That it has been easier for me to, in a way, have it dysfunctional. To really... I just realized that I am happier. I've, I've been so much more relieved, you know. I've been so much lighter since we broke up. And I don't feel ashamed for saying that because it has nothing to do with love. It's about guilt. Because when I don't have Rachel in my life present at every day, I don't have guilt present in my everyday life. And I realized that this fear, this fear of losing her in combination with the guilt of leaving her has just been too much for me. So you can see I've been carrying two really heavy loads, you know, one on each side of my back the realization that I can lose her any day life can just take her away from me and the guilt for leaving her trying to commit suicide so I have the guilt of the fear of losing and the guilt for leaving and you know to not be afraid I leave and that brings me the guilt of leaving. And it's just like two such heavy loads that is underlying. This is things that are hidden. 
These are things that we don't speak about. These are things that I have not been aware of until this spring. These insights are things that 2020 gave me. And I realize now when last Sunday I got a ton of DMs on my Instagram, people saying, how's your daughter? It's terrible, the situation, what's happening to them? And are they okay? Are they okay? And I'm like, what is this? What, what has happened? Because I'm not present. I don't follow her on Instagram. I'm not there looking. So I just realized I have to go there and see what's happening. I asked a friend, do you know what's happening to Rachel? And she answered that she said something about not traveling to Aruba and she got like the whole Aruba community against her. And I went to her Instagram and I checked it out and I just felt like, okay, the things they are writing about my baby, the nasty things they are calling her, the things they say and what they're writing to her. And I felt my heart, you know, I felt my mother heart. It's really like, it was like she was bullied when she was 12, 13. And I just felt like, you know, you, you just want to go there and, and say that wh whatever this is about, this is not okay. This is not something, and you know me, this is not something you say, whatever someone hurt you, however, some you don't do that. And I just felt like my instinct is like, you know, now I just want to go there and kind of scoop her up. And uh, and I sent her a text, like the first in a couple of months, and I sent her a text and I said, I, I heard that you are in a difficult situation and um, did you talk to your father? And she answered quite immediately and she said, no, I haven't spoken to daddy in a, quite a while and we have a guard outside the house. What more can we do? And I just texted her back and I said that we are here, your dad and I, if you need support. And she answered, thank you. And then next day I asked how they are, if things are okay and she said it's actually quite okay and I was going to send you a picture of Lunis in her school uniform but now it's not going to happen so uh, because school is not going to happen so but I'm sending you this and she sent me those lovely photos of Lea Luna and I just felt like you know they are my babies they are They are the closest as someone can come to my heart. It's like a heart in a heart in a heart. And and still, she needs to make her own mistakes. She needs to learn her own stuff. She needs to be her own support. She needs to, you know, she has her path and it's not mine to fix. It's not mine to, to, you know, go in and... And I really feel like, Shama, you have to be mature about this. She's a grown-up. If she needs your help, she asks for it. Now you've said you're here. I also want her to know that you, her father is here too. I'm not alone. Her father is here too, and he's also a good person. And I just felt like something, something in, something in the air, something in the way, something in like, you know, it's just, this is not about love. This is about big, big fundamental errors in the dynamic, in the constellation because of guilt, because of fear, because of what happened to us and we can change it. The first thing is to realize we have a problem. The problem is not that I'm fucked up or she's a bitch or she's fucked up and I am a bitch. The problem is not that I'm a lousy mother and she's a terrible child 
or whatever. That is not, you know, we are two of the best people I actually know. The thing is that we have lived through so much. We have lived through so much fear and guilt together that we probably at one point, we couldn't handle it. And it's not my fault. And it's not her fault. No one is at fault. Life happened to us and we handled it with, you know, the tools we had at that point. My tools weren't so many because of my my childhood and what I've been through. And her tools were as many as they were. And she did her best. So we have both done our best with what we got. So no one is to blame. No one is at fault. We have just come to wake up in a situation where we both realize this doesn't work anymore. And you know what? You can break up with your child. You can break up with your parent. But I don't believe it to be a lifelong solution. Because the longing is there. The love is there. The longing for each other and the love for each other is there. No matter what the mind is telling you. No matter what your mind is telling you how much she fucked up or what a loser she is or he is or what a victim he is. I can't stand her, he, whatever, you know. The love and the longing is still there. And these are our most important relationships, the ones between mother and child, father and child. And we should never, ever, ever forget the child is the child, no matter what happens, no matter what. Nothing can change that. And we have gotten our life from our parents. And the sooner we can bow down in gratitude for that. And trust me, since I realized that, that the only thing that matters is that my mom and dad, they gave me life. Their abilities as parents to me is not important. It shaped me and I'm here now. And I'm having... I'm having really today is one of the the most magnificent days in my life. I opened my email. I had four emails. Welcome to this employment interview was like the top email. Um, the second email was, uh, you got the job for the modeling job for Indiska, like a big uh, clothing chain here in Sweden. Uh, the third job was that something I wanted to be sold, got sold, so I'm receiving some money. And the fourth mail was, hmm, I can't remember what it was, but it was another, like, amazing piece of news. Hmm, what can that be? Anyhow, I had, like, four emails, ding, 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 and I'm like, wow, this day, everything is going my way everything and you know when things go your way you know you got flow because you are in a good place so even if I haven't physically seen my daughter in seven months even if I haven't spoken to her on the phone for seven months even though I haven't you know been on whatsapp or Zoom or anything for this long, all is well. It's not the end of the world that you separate for a while and you go into each one of your corners and you just sit there and you kind of like, what is this about? This is like, this is fucking, this is my child. I love her. Like, I love her so much. I just want to, you know, I can't handle it at times. It's just too much for me to handle and then to realize that this is actually too much for me to handle and I can't balance the guilt and the love. It's not, it doesn't fit on the same plate, you know? It's not a good dish to eat. 
and something's got to change. And I can't change anything on her side. I can only change my side. And my side, after 32 years of mothering, I was 20, you know? I've been a mother for 32 years. Who the fuck am I? That's good to explore now. That's good to see, okay, what does Shama like? Is she good at ballet? Oh, she can obviously play tennis. Hmm, interesting, I didn't know that. Obviously, she loves to be happy. She likes to hang out with adult, young adults, not only her own children. She's actually a good mom, not only to her own children, to others also. She obviously, up there on this retreat, who do you think all the young adults came to and said, I want a hug? They came to me. All of them just came, Shama, can I have a hug, please? And they were like 25 or 30. And I asked a few of them, do I remind you of your mother? And they said, no, absolutely not. And I'm thinking, okay, I have mother qualities. Something in my, uh, you know, being is actually showing that. Because there was one woman, she was 10 years older than I. They didn't come to her, they came to me. And I just felt like, okay... I am all of this mother, you know, I am. And I am really, really proud of it. And I love my children. And the best thing is now, there has been like an imbalance in our family because um, all children hasn't received the same amount of attention and time. And I feel now I've balanced out a lot. I really feel that All my children are equally important. I have four children. They have 25% each of my attention span. You know, they have my my time and my effort, my support, my love. You know, they have 100% of my love and support. But I can balance my time out with them. And the last three years, so much of my time has been dedicated to to Aruba and Rachel and Dennis and Leah Luna. And I'm really grateful for that. Don't misunderstand me. I'm really, really grateful for that. And now this year, 2020, I have gotten to have better relationships with all my children, my three children who are present here in Sweden. So I'm thinking that I'm thinking for all of you who have, you know, really, I did this to my mom. I was superior to her. I thought she was, you know, didn't dress well, that she wasn't, you know, good looking enough, that she had like strange ideas and opinions, that she wasn't kind and this and that. And I absolutely climbed on top of her. And our relationship, it was until the day she died, it was never okay. So I think, like, I made her a victim. She was, you know, depressed for a while, but I never let her rise from that. And I'm really, really sorry, because my mother, she was an amazing person. And the good thing is that I can bow down in gratitude to her after her death. I can honor her after. It's possible, absolutely. I can talk to her. I can, today I'm so grateful for her giving me life. And you know what? I read the letter this summer at the summer house. I read a letter that my dad wrote to my mom when he was dying. He said, dear Shashtin, her name was Shashtin, I am sorry that things didn't work out between us and that they were really bad at times. And I want you to know that I'm so grateful for you giving me our beautiful daughters. And I also want to apologize for being so egotistical and uh, career-driven. And it was mostly my fault that things went wrong. And he also said that I want you to have the doctor's ring, you know, for the finger, because in a way you earned it more than I. And I cried when I read this. 
knowing that my father had this much respect for my mom and for the work she did with us, three girls. And I just felt like things aren't, you know, my, my father was a much better person than I thought he was. I read many things he wrote. And I felt that for me now it's easy to be grateful to them, to feel that thank you for giving me life. Thank you for making me have this beautiful life that I have. <laughs> for making these four beautiful children come through me to the earth. For Lea Luna being here, I know you look down on us and that you see us. And yes, I'm really, really grateful. And the good thing with life is it's never too late. Not even when people are dead. It's never too late, you know, because the only, if you, if you really, if you go really to the bottom, what is it we get from our parents? The greatest gift of all, and that is life. And for that, we are eternally grateful and nothing can conquer that you know we cannot climb on top of our parents because they gave us life they always belong there on top and behind them we have our grandmothers grandfathers and behind them we have our great grandparents and you know there's a long line of women and men standing behind us giving life and that's all Good parents, bad parents, you know, present, not present, whatever happened, they gave us life. Hmm. I'm very, very curious of where life is taking us all. I'm sure it's going to be really, really good. On the other side of challenges, there's always really good things waiting and um, it's strange but uh, the the last days I feel I feel the love for my daughter Rachel in a in a very in a in a way that is in a way that is perhaps more present than it has been for a very, very long time, maybe since she was like four years old. And I think it's the, it's the guilt. You know, as the guilt leaves me, it's not easy to give up guilt. But as it leaves me... You know, I feel that what's left underneath it all is the love. It is really, it's the love. And I'm thinking that the day when fear leaves too, because I felt like now, I felt like now when they were threatened, when people wrote these things about her, and I felt like, you know, this feeling like if you fuck with my daughter, if you have no idea who you fuck with. And I just felt like, you know, when this cold wind comes of what if, and you say to yourself, don't go there, don't go there. And you don't go there, but you feel, you feel it for like a moment. That fear that, uh, you know, thank God is not present in our life, except when, when this moment comes and you touch it and you really feel like uh, life is just an instant. It's just like a tiny little instant. And, and what's real is the love. Life and love. And uh, I don't think underneath everything that that's what is. Yeah. So, okay, all of you struggling with your 
mother-daughter, father-daughter, parent-child relationship, you know, if you're a child or if you're a parent and you're struggling, I hope this gives you some insight as this spring, summer has given me. And uh, I hope, Rachel, if you listen to this, I hope I don't offend you. Um, I love you. I love you to the moon and back and more, more than I can and probably ever have expressed. And uh, I'm sorry for that, for not having that ability. And uh, I want to work on it. I love you. And I love your beautiful daughter, my grandchild, and your beautiful husband. I love your little family. Mm. And for all of you listening, I hope you're well. And I hope you take a good look into yourself. And hopefully more relationships with parents and children can heal in a good way. And I will keep working on my side to be the person I am meant to be without guilt and fear so I can let other people be the ones they are meant to be. Okay, I love you. Puss.